Welcome to the Seed World Pro Podcast, where seed industry professionals get the knowledge, tools, and peer support they need to grow their businesses and their careers. My name is Michelle Klieger, host of the Seed World Pro Podcast, and today I'm joined by Sarah Breath Aubrey of Aubrey Coaching and Training. Welcome, Aubrey. Hello. Sarah Beth is on a mission to enhance success and profitability in agriculture and rural communities by building capacity in people. She believes everyone has a unique definition of success and strives to foster that potential, whether through one-on-one executive coaching, by facilitating peer groups, or by leading boards through change-based planning initiatives. She started her company in 2015 and in 2018 launched Elevate Ag, a farmer and agribusiness CEO peer group network program. Before all of this, though, one of her previous entrepreneurships included a retail meat business. And something that our audience probably doesn't know about me is that my father and grandfather were in the meat business, and I started a farmer's market booth selling meat and then an online meat company in 2010. So uh, funny connection there. Uh, but again, thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah Beth. We are doing a two-part series um, with you. And today we are going to be talking about steps to coach our next generation. Did I miss anything? <laughs> no. And, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk in our other getting to know you conversations about your meat business. So we do have a fun connection there. And agriculture is just like that, isn't it? It's it's uh, it's not the six degrees of separation. It's far fewer than that. It definitely is. And I am actually guessing that quite a few of the people listening to this podcast actually do know you already. Based on the client list that you've worked with, you've worked with a, a bunch of companies in our industry. So um, I'm hoping it's a welcome back for some people and an opportunity to meet you to everyone else fun to take new opportunities to do that. And I am looking forward to, to the chance to have a conversation with you. And hopefully our topics today are provide good information to the audience. And yeah, a few of those seed connections that I maybe already have out there. I actually started my career working as an ag chem rep. And so definitely been around the block in the seed and then the uh, ag uh, crop protection world for sure. It's a close family and a fun industry to work in, that's for sure. So in your current business, you are working with a variety of clients. And one of the topics that we've talked about, which I think is a great fit for this group, is how to coach your next generation. And it seems like you're doing a lot of work about building culture. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons why culture is important. Um, but anything that jumps to mind for you on why culture is such an important topic and not just a fluffy millennial thing that we like to talk about? <laughs> I have a very good reason why culture is important and not at all fluffy. That always hits home to the folks who might think that culture is an afterthought. And it's all about a productivity. And it's really true if you have got a culture where people want to come to work, where they are, they work together well with limited conflicts or when conflicts arise, that they have the tools to solve them and work through them as professionals. And where there are known 
clarity around roles and expectations and performance and where the vision of what they want to do and what the company or the, the organization or the trade group is really all about, all of those things are culture and they all improve efficiency, productivity, and output. And so for even the most hard-nosed bosses or leaders that think, I don't need that, we're in ag, we've got stuff to do, we're essential, we deliver a product, we get, you know, we distribute seed, we take orders, we place inventory, we grow things. Those things are all true, but I tell you what, they are way better enabled when your culture is healthy. That makes a lot of sense. I think any everybody's really looking to the bottom line. And if you can make that case, whether it's retaining employees, having a more functional staff, or just a good environment, um, I think that's extremely important. And I, it, you know, you've already pointed out how it does influence the company overall. So what are some of the ways that you uh, help companies or individuals improve the culture or address issues within the culture? Sure. And I think that we can talk about these in a couple of different ways. I've got um, five tips that I wanted to bring up today for the purposes of our chat that will give five different ways that you can develop leaders, that you can work on and improve culture. So we can get into those at different points in our conversation, but I always like to, to highlight that, you know, not all of these will be necessary for every organization or they may all work really well for you. But I'm going to start with the basic one that I think is essential to all organizations to improve culture. And that's my number one tip for developing and coaching anybody in your business, whether it is the next generation, you know, we're talking younger leaders or whether it's just trying to reframe the outlook on the organization and what you want to do with your seasoned employees or your long-term employees or family members that you work with. And that first thing is pretty simple, but it can be challenging if you haven't thought about it for a while. And that's what's your why. And in this current environment, I think that we really are going back to that quite a bit around that why, you know, we may have to change models. We may have to change how we communicate with people. We may have to change uh, the message. The product and service might not be changing, but our why is something that we can really look back to, to understand why we exist, why was the business founded in the first place? What is the core value that we operate on? Uh, what, is the, what are the most important tenants that we do business within? What are the belief systems that we have? Um, the, the, what are the major values that we bring to those customers? And so when you are a leader of an organization and you're looking to develop and coach others, you have to be really clear about this. Solopreneurs can have this in their head and fail to share it. And big businesses or corporate type entities can have had something that's been around so long that they assume everybody gets it. So the first place, especially when you're looking to develop leaders, is are we on the same page with our why? And I've seen that ha statistics that show that having a why or having a mission or that investment in, in what you are actually doing is really something that helps businesses in the long run. And so having your employees be able to relate to that gives purpose. And I've seen that it really does increase uh, productivity. Yeah, it does. And it doesn't have to be their life's purpose either. I want to point that out because sometimes we think, well, I, you know, 
if if it's not you know the part of my identity who I am then it, maybe it's not important to others you know for example at, at the farm gate in agriculture the idea of being a farmer is very much part of the ego the identity of farmers and of farm family members you know it's it's literally that statement who am i now when we work in the trade we can still have a very clear perspective of what is our why what is our value why do we exist and make sure that people are really bought into that without it being part of your you know, identity. And so sometimes I've, I've heard, not feedback, but pushback, I guess, in corporate settings of, oh, that's too smushy because, it's, you know, it, it's not all about, you know, this is what I get, I live and breathe the seed business. Maybe I, maybe you don't, that's okay. But do you understand the value that it brings, what you're really offering, why the organization is, is founded? And does that matter to you? And can you get on board with it? That still does what you suggested, Michelle, and helps people to buy in and feel like they're part of an organization that matters. And there are so many different places or angles that you can buy into, like you said. I mean, a lot of people talk about we're producing seed, which feeds the world. We're producing seed treatments that you know increase productivity, reduce inputs. We are creating vegetables that have great flavor. We're, you know, investing in amazing science that's making all of this possible. So I think that for different parts of the seed industry, it doesn't have to have that same message. There are different missions or different pieces of it that can really speak to you. And that's the excitement you can get behind. It definitely is. Those are all really valid and they all hit home for people in a different way, potentially. So it's just about making sure that you're communicating those. I and mean, I think that's the bottom line of that first point is we contend culturally to just take culture as it is. And, and frankly, culture is evident and it exists in every organization. The difference with organizations is it's either a culture you create or a culture you allow. So that's where starting with why allows you to craft that culture and help people to get on board and be building it along with you. I'm interested in the difference between when you create the culture and when you uh, let it happen. But I also want to get to uh, step two on your top five list. <laughs> I know we could spend some time on that because that's kind of a drop mic type sentence right there, isn't it? I mean, it really, it really is. And that could be a whole nother show. But so step two is around what I call in developing leaders is to take inventory. What I mean by this is talent pipeline. So our organizations in agriculture are constantly shifting. The roles that we had five years ago are not necessarily the same roles that we need to fill now, not just because we've had a person in that job taking up space, but because the needed function has probably shifted with regard to technology or how our customer is buying from us or whatever. So I really think that, again, as a leader, you've got to take a look at your talent pipeline. And that is really a pretty simple assessment on that inventory. What do I have now in terms of the talent on board? What do I see as the roles of the future? And the future could be very soon. You know, with what we've had going on globally this year, you may have new roles emerging that you need to fill that you did not expect that you would need to fill so quickly. So that could be a really significant factor for you right now on the immediate term, but also even, you know, two or three down, years down the road, is there something I see that we're going to need or is there the, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be totally clear yet. Is it just certain set of functions that we're going to need to have? And you don't have that in your, on the bench right now. 
So that's something that you have the chance to be proactive about. And developing leaders is all about improving their condition, making, uh, helping people to get better at a certain role, gain new skills, et cetera. So that's really number two, is make sure you see where the talent pipeline is today and where you're going to need it to go. And how often do you recommend taking that inventory? No, that's a great question. You know, I think annually at least makes a ton of sense. But anytime that you see a business shift happening or anytime that you are getting ready to really make some functional changes in the entity, whether it's we're adding a new new line of business, a new product, you know, for people that are organizations that are deploying a whole new product or service, that's definitely a trigger time to evaluate the talent pipeline, of course. But to be proactive at least annually really sitting down and looking at that because it makes sense to merge that with the goals that you have for the company. It absolutely does. And at the same time this podcast comes out, we will be having a power talk with Dr. Gray at Purdue talking exactly about that, making sure that your personnel and your talent line up with your strategic needs. So uh, definitely see the connection there. Yeah, that will be good. And that, that allows people hopefully to dig in and take this particular step a little farther. I definitely think so. And it's, inter- you know, it's so important one, as you mentioned right now in a shifting environment, uh, but even just, you know, sometimes this is a difficult step. We talk about, you know, whether you're a small company or a family owned company, making sure you have people in the right roles. Um, you know, again, with business shifts, with the seasonality of our business. So um, I love that this is so neatly tied together. And I think that especially when you're looking at culture, making sure that your people and your um, positions are lined up really gives you a strategic advantage in the marketplace. Yes, it can. So with regard to that, I want to move on to number three for you, because I think it makes it, it's a good spot where you where you dropped off there. In terms of this developing culture and coaching leaders, that's really my third piece is what is your coaching program and or mentoring program that you have? And to me, that's different than training. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of seed companies on a professional level, uh, whether it's doing speaking, training, um, you know, going to events, et cetera. And I've only just begun getting a handful of clients that want to look at it from a coaching perspective. And they're different because training is something that it's specific for building a skill, but a lot of times it can be passive. Not always, but certainly, you know, it's the, the trainer or the topic, or the, if you're doing it online, you know, you get the material, you log in, you take the course, and it's, it can be very one, uh, one-on-one, and sometimes it can be very passive. Again, training is essential, taking nothing away from it. But I think where we see real growth in the leadership and real improvement in the culture is where we have an ongoing program of coaching and mentorship within the organization. And that's something that you can build on your own. You can get support and bring in consultants, et cetera, to help you design that. And that may be necessary. But even so, after that, you can often really keep that kind of thing up as as it becomes woven into your culture. So I really encourage organizations to take a look at what do we do on an ongoing basis so that every part of our program, every person in our company has the chance to be coached by someone or has the chance to get a really good mentor that they can go to for counsel. 
And do you think that there's a benefit in being of a coach as well? Is that a position for everyone? Oh yeah. It's definitely not the position for everyone. Uh, I think that some people really love the idea of coaching others. And why, why is it for some and not others? Well, first of all, you've got to be really willing to give up your time. <laughs> you know, it's going, if you commit to coaching another or a group or a team, you're going to commit some time to that. So do you have the capacity in your schedule during, you know, at a present time to be a good and available coach? So I think that's why it may not fit for everyone at all times. You also have to be a really good listener. So coaches don't, you know, it's, it's different than how we might've learned from dad or grandpa, where it was, you know, do as I say, not as I do, or, you know, just stand there and watch and don't ask questions. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know that was like it sometimes around my dad growing up and that model is not necessarily the best way to move forward. So a coach has got to have the ability to provide some ideas and counsel, but they need to listen. So if you're not the best at listening or you need to continue developing those skills, it may be someone else in the organization who's better served to, to lead the coaching charge. That's a really helpful explanation. I feel like a lot of times we look at what someone is going to get out of coaching or mentorship and not necessarily what makes a good coach or mentor. So I appreciate um, that insight, especially as we think who to tap in our businesses to lead that next generation. Yeah. And we can, people can get better at that and become better at coaching over time. It's just that you really have to have a conscious effort there. And so just assigning someone the coaching role because they have to be the head of HR or they have the longest serving member in the company may not be um, a wise fit. And it feels like sometimes people slowly transition to it themselves. I have a number of people that I've worked with that as they get closer to retirement, they feel like they have really learned what they need to learn and gotten their business where it, they want it to be. And so it's now their opportunity to help people the same way they were able to learn through their career. So those people might be having more time as well. So it feels like it's a sliding scale of who is the right person at that time. I think it can. And in those cases, you talk about the the person who's considering, uh, you know, the the sunset of their career portion of their life or that they're looking at a retirement in the reasonably near future. That's also the slightly different piece. And that could be a mentorship role, you know, where I say coaching is very effective when it has specific behaviors that you want to change or specific skills that you want to improve and you really work to to see a result. Mentorship is really well served by those who are um, seasoned professionals and want to give back because they have had people help them bring themselves up. And that can be more of an ongoing, almost just advisory role without any formal starter end, without any formal objectives or performance. You know, you don't have to maybe add those constraints and it can just be a really fulfilling and mutually fulfilling opportunity if you have some people willing to do mentorship. That clarification helps. Um, and I could see how the coaching would be things that you want in your culture, you know, making that consistency versus the mentorship is more an individual experience. Yeah, those are definitely a couple of distinctions. And for more on that, you know, we can, you know, people can always message me or whatever if they want to see the differences there. But there is quite a, there can be differences and the difference can, can really help you decide what is the best way. But my, you know, to kind of round out this particular point, 
the idea though is just to create a culture where peer-to-peer -peer learning and peer-to-peer -peer support and development of individuals is a common practice that everyone believes is important and feels comfortable playing a role in regardless of how that what that role is. Great. So for point number four? Yeah. So point number four, I want to take it externally. And that is around the idea of building influence. So your leaders that you're developing today, they're going to have to be completely different leaders than, than you are now, or than you will be in 20 years, or that you were 20 years ago. I mean, I tell people in the farm gate, and I know we're talking to seed industry here, but you call a lot of you on farmers, you know, farmers lead global businesses locally. And so do you, if you are in the industry where you call on a territory or something like that. So the external influence and advocacy piece that leaders in organizations in agriculture are going to have to be adept at is so much more um, complicated and more important than it ever has been. So I really encourage people as they're looking to develop the professionals in their organization, how are you helping your people develop really great skills at influence and advocacy? It does not mean that they have to flag wave, you know, on Facebook all the time or, or something like that about agriculture is so important. Here's why those can be great tools and they may want to do that. It, but it's also really about being able to effectively communicate their message. So things like building solid networks, things like taking place in external activities, whether it's serving on advisory boards, being part of really high value peer networks, being people and building people in your organization that others will call on when they need answers really builds a lot of um, credentials for your company as a whole if you're developing those leaders. That makes a lot of sense. I have seen, it's one of those things where you see people being very outspoken or being thought leaders in different spaces, but still working for companies. And so I've um, sometimes wondered how that helps the companies. Uh, and I assume that when people are trying to uh, get the leeway in their jobs to take these roles that that message might necess be necessary for management as well. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's definitely not something I would have thought of how uh, individuals, employees building influence in the sector would help a company. But then again, I have started listening to this ag econ um, webinar on Fridays from Michigan State and I would call it the, you know, Michigan State University podcast and not necessarily give you the names of the hosts. So now it's all beginning to fit together, how those opportunities go back and build both the individual brand as well as the company brand. They really do. And think about it. When you, if you want to create that culture, you want to create a workplace people want to work in. So your employees, no matter if they sweep the floor or, um, you know, re research the next technology or lead the board of directors, they are all examples to someone else of what employees look like in that firm. So for recruitment, for retention, for how people speak and look at your community, you know, company in the community with your vendors, these, how the spouses feel about the company. I mean, that's all based upon how your people conduct themselves. And that's kind of scary for some of you, perhaps. <laughs> and I can understand why. 
but you really have to help make sure that you're getting your folks at the level of professionalism that best represents you and helps everyone to feel like they're working for a top-notch organization. Do you encourage people to engage on social media with their employers or their employer pages? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's that could be that's an issue probably beyond the scope of us for today. I think that employees who want to utilize social media to speak effectively about their organization or the industry probably should do a savvy move and clear that with their supervisor. I mean, I think that would be a smart move if I was an employee. And I think that the supervisor should really think strongly about, does this person, do I feel like this person represents us well? Um, Do we think that, are we doing a good job of engaging externally and could this be a new opportunity? So I think there's some weighing of that back and forth that's going to need to be done. But I can, I know of several examples of peers who do a really nice job representing themselves as an industry professional and they occasionally mention their company or that's just that their company is attached to their LinkedIn profile, but they're talking about the industry and their company is really supportive of it. So frankly, it's pretty individual based um, and you'll have to work that out between your supervisor and supervisors really need to weigh that based upon what they feel like the employee success will be with that going that route. Perfect. Uh, and to round it out, I'm assuming it's the last step, but probably not the least step in your top five uh, coaching the next generation list. Yes, let's do it. So number five is all about accountability. No good program is effective without it. And in agriculture, we have tended to error on accountability towards only a handful of things. A lot of times we use sales performance you know, as our primary metric or in in the seed industry yield. I mean, these are the obvious metrics. They are essential. We're never going to not use those. However, accountability and developing top performers, there's a lot of metrics that can can go into that. And I recently did a program on KPIs, key performance indicators. Many of you have heard that acronym, probably have some of those that use in your company, where we really looked at metrics that were non-sales and non and non-bottom line type issues, because we wanted to develop effective leaders and managers that were effective at the personnel and the people and the relationship building part. And there were no metrics in that organization for that in the past. And I suspect that's fairly common in our industry. So for me, what is the accountability factor when you give someone an assignment, when you ask them to take on a new role, when you ask them to improve a circumstance, who's accountable to who? And what's the follow-up? And frankly, what's the culture of the follow-up? And that's really the critical piece. You know, I was um, doing some strategic planning with a, a retail organization several years ago, and the, the CEO was hesitant even to put some of this out and bring some of his managers in because he said, you know, we have such a poor track record from the previous boss of actually delivering, we'll have these meetings and then when nothing changes, that I just am almost embarrassed because I think they're going to sit there and think, well, this is nice, but I don't really have to do anything because they don't mean it. That's pretty deadly. And it's probably not uncommon. (laughs) So I think that my top, it may be the number one, Michelle, to your point, definitely not the least, is that whatever you implement, be sure that you, along with it, design a program for accountability You need somebody who is going to own the follow-up on that accountability. And it has to be part of the culture that accountability is expected. 
Yes, very few of us have the internal motivation to uh, consistently carry through without that external accountability. So I can see how that is a critical part of all of the previous steps uh, and is necessary uh, regardless of what the metrics are, just to ensure that we keep growing as uh, employees and as a business altogether. Yes, it is. So one last tip on that. You definitely, if you're the leader, you want to build those steps in. You want to make those clear and you want to attach them to times to monitor them. You don't want to micromanage. No one likes that. But do you bring up those things during a performance review that you already have scheduled? Are they brought? Are your items that you want people to be accountable for? Are they brought up quarterly at a at a retreat or you know right now we're doing a lot of Zoom calls? Are they tagged in each one of those calls to say okay remember these are the five points that we took accountability for? How is it going? So another method that can be helpful, especially when you have field teams, which in the seed business a lot of our forward marketing is done by those in the field that don't work in an office and we don't see every day. So accountability partners can be an effective tool here. That's something that's additional beyond just the manager of that person. And that can be kind of a neat tool that enables two peers or some other arrangement to take accountability for a certain situation, circumstance, or improvement, whatever they want to work on, and then report to each other on how they are actually doing in, in terms of achieving that objective. Thank you. These have been amazing tips. I definitely think that our audience is going to be able to take these actionable steps um, and really see improvement in their culture. Are there any other thoughts or tips that we weren't able to cover so far? Many, many more and not much more time for today on that. But I think the final thing I would say that is where we started, which was you know, culture is created or allowed. And as a leader, it's up to you to decide what you want that to be. And I really encourage you to create the most positive, uh, effective culture that you can because your productivity and your output will only go up from there. Thank you, Sarah Beth. I appreciate your time. I will make your contact information available to all of the listeners, but there's a few ways to get a hold of you. So is there one that is the best? You can definitely find me if you like social in uh, on Facebook, uh, Sarah Beth Aubrey, you can direct message me there. So that's super easy. Or Instagram, same thing, Sarah Beth Aubrey SBA, or just email me info at sarahbethaubrey.com. Thank you for your time. I really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward um, to learning more from you in the future. Have a great day. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you.